I've been finding lately that the majority of the life lessons God wants to teach me come at the most inopportune times. A couple weeks ago, actually, no, this was like three days ago. See, time flies. It's the middle of the night. I can't sleep. I'm trying to fall asleep. I'm watching the clock. It's like one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. I'm like, oh, geez. Finally, at like 3.45, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get up. And as I started to walk down the stairs, it kind of hit me that we've been talking about this idea of time in church, and yet I just... I'm resentful of this time. And so I said, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steward this time. Right? This is a, a block of time God has given me in the morning that is it's peaceful, it's quiet. Everyone's unconscious in my house. Right? This is very rare. <laughs> I'm going to look at this like a stewardship, and I'm going to savor it. I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. It's going to be amazing. And God's going to give me this gift in this time. I see what's happening. This is going to be amazing. And so I go into the kitchen to make myself a cup of coffee. And as I go to the sink, I notice that there's some water dripping under the sink. That's weird. Who's running the water at four in the morning? So I look under the sink and I don't see really anything dripping. But, but I see like our hot water dispenser has this like quarter inch kind of plastic hose that goes to the water line. And it looks kind of wet. So I like reach out and touch it. And it goes... Right, like in my face, I'm awake now, like, and I'm like turning off the cold water, turning off the cold water, right? But it's behind the garbage disposal, so like, ah, I sprayed in the face, like, okay, I'm gonna fix the sink. That's what I'm gonna do four in the morning. So I go down to the toolbox, I get out all the plumbing stuff, I come up, and I'm under the sink, like 4:30 in the morning, just like, ah, right? Plumbing's the worst. If you're a plumber, God bless you, right? but you weren't awake at four o'clock. So I'm just under the sink. And as I'm taking these pieces apart, I'm trying to clean them, put them back together, and they're not coming back together. And I'm realizing, like, these are not the right pieces. Like, what? Who installed this? And I remembered, I installed this. Like, oh. <laughs> so I'm looking online. What do I need? I don't have it. I'm like, what time is Home Depot open? It opens at six. I'm like, oh, well, that's just around the corner. Great. So I get in my car. I get dressed first. Get in my car. Drive to Home Depot, I'm waiting, I like find the aisle that my part is in, right? The door's open, I go in there, I get the part, I come home, I go into the sink, and I'm fixing, fixing, fixing the sink, and I finish it, and I'm like, yes, now I'll enjoy this quiet time, and I look up, and it's like daytime. The time is gone, it's like 7 a.m., the kids are awake, and time never really seems to work the way we want it to work, does it? You ever show up at a meeting super early because you wanted to be super prepared, but then none of your tech works? So you're trying to get the PowerPoint working, you're calling IT, but you're too early, so they're not there, and you're just stressing, and then people start showing up at your meeting early, and now you're like sweating through your clothes, and you're trying to make small talk, you're like, ah, right? What happened to time? Right, this whole series, we've been talking about this concept at a macro level. The, 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 the marbles in the jar, the M&Ms in this jar, if this is the average human lifespan, they just keep getting lower and lower and time just keeps flying by and we try to slow it down. We try to savor it. We try to steward these opportunities, but it's just flying by so fast and out of control. It's like we're standing on the side of a freeway and time is like semi-trucks, like whizzing past us. We're stressed and we're tired and we're burdened and we're trying to like rein in this thing called time. But we can't. This morning as we close our series, what, 
What I want to advocate is that something is broken in our relationship with time. There's something broken. We hit on this a little bit last week where it's like we want to look at time like it's this wild beast that we want to like rope and rein in and domesticate for us to do our bidding. But Solomon says, good luck with that. Time is not a beast. Time is a vapor. It's like chasing after a cloud. You can't rope it in. You chase after it. Chase after it. But there's something broken in us that can't stop chasing it. We can't slow down. We can't rest. We can't be content. We can't just savor the moment. And no matter how hard we try to release our grip on how we want to control time on this planet, we just can't. As we look at the scriptures, we see that God tries all these different angles to get his people to change their view of time. Right? God's people leave Egypt towards the promised land, and it should be a short walk up to the promised land, but it takes them 40 years to get there. Like God stretches out the time. And then in Joshua, the people get into this battle and God's people are winning and God literally stops time like the sun stops in the sky and like they have hours and hours and hours and hours. Where did they come from? I don't know, just hours and hours and hours. It's like God has been saying since the beginning, I want to teach you how to look at time differently. And even those first two chapters of Genesis we talked about this morning that God instituted into the rhythm of human existence a priority that we would find a way to escape the inevitable turning of the clock to unwind one day a week and stop and learn to exist outside of time. He gives us this thing called Sabbath and saying, this should fit within the rhythm of life that I've planned for you. But it doesn't. We can't slow down. We can't stop. Time keeps drifting away from us. This morning I want to close our series by looking even at this concept of Sabbath and asking, what is wrong with us? What is broken in us? How has our relationship with time been so dismantled that we can't even stop working for one day? And hopefully on the other side of it, we find a new way of life. Over time becomes less pressing. And God's will becomes our daytimer instead. I want you to imagine that you had a small group meeting at your house. And, and there are people in your group that you had come to know and love over several years. And, and every week you get together and talk about the Bible. And it's a great, wonderful thing. And these are your closest friends now. And, and then one week, somebody from your group shows up alone. And they're looking like something's off. You say, are you okay? They say, oh, we'll talk about it. I don't want to talk about it yet. And you sit down, you start your Bible study time, you pray. And they say, hey, guys, I've got an announcement. And this person that you know, this person that you love, this person who's in your community says, I need to tell you guys the reason that I came alone tonight is that my wife left me yesterday. She found out that I've been having an affair for the last several months, and it blew up, and and she went out the door. Now, how would you feel hearing someone confess to that in that moment? Or imagine they took it at a different angle. They said, guys, I, I need to confess something to you. I've been talking to you a lot about the fact that I, I'm trying to care for my aging parents, but 
What I haven't told you is that I've been kind of consumed over these last several years with my parents' finances. I've been watching my future inheritance withering away to all these medical expenses. And so when I told you that I put them in a nice place for them to be cared for, I really found this like cheap, terrible rest home to get them out of my life and save as much money as possible so they could die and I could make a ton of money off of them. You'd be like, whoa, that's a big one. (laughs) Or if somebody said, you know what, I know you all prayed for me last week with my big court case and you rejoiced that that, the guy got put into jail who did that thing to me. But I need to tell you guys, I lied. I got up on the witness stand, I lied. That didn't happen. I I had this vendetta against this person and I made that up and and now they're rotting in prison for a crime they didn't commit because I, I put them there. I just need to tell someone, so I'm telling you. Right? These are those like big picture things in life. These are those moments where you're like, whoa, something terrible has must have broken inside of you to get you to this place. Ah. And this is like Ten Commandments level stuff. It's like somebody converting to a different religion, someone worshiping false idols, someone murdering, someone making false testimony, someone dishonoring their parents, someone committing adultery. My question for us this morning is why does it feel different if someone came into our small group and confessed to the sin of Sabbath breaking? Because that's in the Ten Commandments too. Right, Exodus 28 through 11 says this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This is the longest one of the Ten Commandments. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner resting in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. And then he starts talking about not murdering and committing adultery and other things too. I can only think of two reasons why breaking... The Sabbath law feels different than breaking the other <laughs> nine commandments. Either, uh, we'll put it up there, either breaking the Sabbath isn't as bad as breaking the other commandments, or something is broken in us so that we think it's not as bad as breaking the other commandments. Right? Those are the only two options. Either Sabbath breaking goes right up there with adultery and murder and false testimony and dishonoring parents and covetousness and all those things. Or it doesn't. And I know that if we took a vote right now, we're in church, right? So we all say, oh, yeah, it's terrible. Oh, yeah, I would never violate the Sabbath, right? But we don't actually believe that it's that bad, right? Some of us don't care. Most of us probably don't care. And I think one of the reasons that we don't care is that when we look at the Bible, sometimes it seems like Jesus didn't care. Right? When Jesus engages with the other commandments, he like escalates them really big. He says, hey, you you may have heard not to commit adultery. That's a good tip. That's good. But let me tell you something. Anyone who's looked at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Therefore, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Like, whoa, that's an escalation. (laughs) Jesus says, oh, you may have heard that it was said, don't commit murder. You thought you were good. I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Come on, Jesus. 
He keeps taking these like commandments and turning them up to 11. Like, Jesus, I thought I was good. But then when it comes to the Sabbath law, we see Jesus taking a totally different approach. And Jesus goes into Capernaum into the synagogue on Saturday and he sees a man who has a deformity physically and he heals him. And everybody goes, Jesus, it's Saturday. You can't heal people on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, ah, it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. What's this guy doing? This is the anger is murder guy? <laughs> Jesus is walking down the street with his disciples and they go past a grain field. He starts picking off heads of grain and popping them in his mouth. And the disciples are like, don't you know what you're doing? That's harvesting. That's work. This is the Sabbath. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, no, no. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Right? I've got jurisdiction here. And it seems like while Jesus is taking care to escalate every other commandment, he plays fast and loose with the Sabbath regulations. I'm not the only person who noticed this. All the religious folks noticed this too. And yet as we study the culture and life and times of Jesus, we see that, of course, Jesus did not care about one of the commandments that he himself wrote. But what Jesus is doing in, in his relationship with Sabbath law is the same thing as he's doing with his relationship to every other law. He's coming out with the Ten Commandments and bringing people back to the heart of the matter. Right? He goes to adultery and says, hey, don't think that your marriage is perfect just because no one's committed adultery. Right? Let's talk about this enemy inside you called lust that can destroy you anyway. Right? Don't think that you're cool with your brother just because you've never murdered somebody. Right? Let's talk about your anger issues too. And as he looks at the relationship that the religious folks of the day had with the Sabbath law, he sees a bunch of people who are going crazy and getting exhausted working so hard just to rest on Saturdays. Right? He sees people who have this whole day of preparations because Friday you had to work so hard to make sure you didn't have anything to do on Saturday. He saw these people who tie up all these ribbons around town because nobody wanted to walk too far from their house. And so like, ooh, that's as far as I can get. It's Saturday. He saw these people who couldn't even spit. You shouldn't do that. But they couldn't even spit on Saturday because if you spit on the ground and it's dusty, it might make like a furrow in the ground. And that looks a lot like planting seeds. And that looks a lot like work. And so you should be very careful what drool comes out of your mouth on Saturdays, right? And so Saturday, which was designed by God to be a day of rest and beauty and remembrance that we don't have to work, but God does the work, became a day of exhaustion and fatigue and burden more than anything else. And Jesus said, you guys need to relax and rest because it's Saturday. So eat some food. It's like Solomon, right? <laughs> Go on a walk. Eat some grain. Do something good. Be nice to your neighbor. It's Saturday. You can do whatever you want. Relax. That's what it's for. And what he was trying to do is engage the culture of his day and release their grit on misappropriating this day and making it a hard, hard work day instead. 2,000 years later, we've released our grip on Sabbath and we've been gripped by our schedules instead. Now, the day of rest, whether it's today for you on Sunday or Saturday, whatever you do to choose to abstain from work, is rarely a day of rest, not because you're so 
rigorous in your religiousness about it, but because there's so much to do that it keeps bleeding into the seventh day. Have you ever tried to say, you know what, my kids aren't going to do sports on the weekends. How'd that work for you? Or just say, you know what, I'm just not going to do any household chores on Sundays. You know what happens when you decide that? You've got to do twice as many household chores on Monday. Right? And then your kids are all like back at school and it's crazy again, right? It's not like we found the secret to resting. We've been trying to find the secret of efficiency. Like if I can just get my stuff done, then I can rest. If I can just get my affairs in order, then I can rest. If I can just finish going, 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 then I can rest. Maybe I'll rest when I'll die. And so these people in the first century who were too religious to rest We've released our grip on all that. And now we're too busy and exhausted and burned out and tired to rest. I think that the issue like we started with is bigger than Sabbath. Because I think if I challenged you right now to just take a day off next week, or just commit to a Sabbath challenge, which I hate that because it sounds like, I'm going, to commit, I'm going to charge you all, if you can handle it, to commit to a no adultery challenge, right? For the next 40 days, don't commit any adultery and just see what God does, right? I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to commit to a murder challenge, right? Don't murder someone. It's the opposite. It's kind of crazy. But for the next 40 days, right? And do 20 if you can't do 40. Just try not to murder someone. And if you murder someone, just get forgiveness, get back on the horse. It's okay, right? It's a murder challenge. We're just all, we're all dabbling in this no murder thing, right? It's crazy. So I'm very hesitant to say, why don't you just try not breaking the Sabbath for a while? Because if it's the same as the others, it sounds insane to God, even if it doesn't sound insane to us. Primarily the reason I don't want to give you a Sabbath challenge because I don't think that'll do anything. Because if you came to me on any of the other commandments, you said, Danny, I'm about to get married and I really want to have a good marriage. What would your advice be, Danny? As much as I believe this is true, I I wouldn't say that the most important piece of marriage advice you need is don't commit adultery, right? If you came to me and said, Danny, I just, I want to be a good neighbor. I see all these people in my neighborhood. I want to love them well. What can I do to love them well? Oh, this is from the scriptures. Just don't murder any of them. (laughs) The Sabbath feels like a tip for healthy living, but it's not supposed to be that. Right? It's almost the flip side. If you came to me and said, Danny, I am, I'm so tempted to murder my neighbor. Like, honestly, I've been, I've been online. I've been accumulating weapons, right? I'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, red flag, alarm bell, something crazy is happening. Like, you've gone way off. Right? And if you came to me and said, Danny, I just need to admit to you, I, I'm just constantly thinking about finding a new spouse. Like, I just, I'm not content in my relationship, and I just want to be with somebody else, and and I'm thinking about committing adultery. I can't stop thinking about committing adultery. I would say, okay, there's a lot of alarm bells going off now. I think there's something broken in your relationship with God. I think there's something broken in your relationship with your spouse that has gotten you so far, right? Because these Ten Commandments aren't like healthy tips for good living. These Ten Commandments are like... The, the perimeter fence around the whole thing where it's when you get close to it, it's electric, right? So stay away. So really, if you came to me and said, Danny, I, I'm just 
tempted to break the Sabbath. I'm tempted to work around the clock. I just feel like I'm so busy. I feel like I should give you the same answer as if you told me you were tempted to commit adultery or murder someone. If that's true, this is the statement I want you to think about. If you find yourself continually tempted to break the Sabbath, an aspect of your relationship with God is terribly broken. If the Sabbath law is the same as the other Ten Commandments, if you feel like you just can't slow down, like you are burned out, you need to rest, you can't rest, you can't take a day off, I would advocate in the same way that if you can't stop thinking about adultery, you can't stop thinking about murder or lying, that a lot of alarm bells should be going off, that something is terribly broken in your relationship with time and something is terribly broken in your relationship with the Lord. And the good news is, the advice I would give you if you came to me like that is the same as I'd give you for any out of these commandments. I would say you need to repent, release this thing, ask for forgiveness, and ask Jesus to start putting your life back together again the way that it should be. Right? Repent of these feelings and confess to your spouse. Repent of these feelings. Don't confess with your neighbor that you want to murder them, but com- <laughs> repent of these feelings. Confess to the Lord and And let's walk you through a process of renewal because Jesus is inviting you into a process of transformation, but you've got to release your grip on the busyness of life. As much as we think Jesus didn't really talk about time and rest and Sabbath, he talked about this one. I think it's Matthew 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, people weren't just tired and worn out and burdened in the first century. I mean, in, in, in our year, but in the first century as well. I love the way Eugene Peterson kind of paraphrases this passage. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And Jesus says, if you found yourself worn out and burned out and tired, and the clock is just driving you to death, release your addiction to time. Release your idolatry of time. And come to me and I'll teach you a new way to live. I'll be your Lord instead of your iCal. I'll be your God instead of your calendar. I'll be the one who drives you instead of the clock. And I'll teach you how to live in a way that is different than the way that everyone around you lives that's driving them insane as well. If you find yourself in a place that you are burned out and tired and worn out, I can't tell you like 10 steps to be less burned out. I can tell you one step. Turn to Jesus and let him start to equip you for a new way of life. One of the reasons that we're doing this series on on walking with Jesus after this is to kind of explore what it looks like to walk with Jesus and in the weird way that he lived and did life around the Sea of Galilee and down into Jerusalem. As you came in today, we probably gave you one of these bookmarks. Did you see these? This is not just like a promotional material for a series that ended, right? Well, what this is, is something you can take away with you to start this process of abiding in Jesus a day at a time. You'll see on the back, we put the Lord's Prayer, 
which I think is the way that Jesus was starting to kind of catalyze us to experience the world through his eyes, to look at the holiness of God and the way that his kingdom wants to intersect with planet Earth, to learn how to take things a day at a time, to be thankful for the food you have in front of you, to keep short accounts, to walk and put one foot ahead of the other, to keep our eyes on just the immediacy of what God is calling us to, to not to get so caught up in tomorrow that we don't live today. But maybe the step that you need to take is just to start praying that Lord's Prayer and asking God how it can craft a new way of life in you. You know, so often we think about Jesus as the truth. Sometimes we think about him as like the life, like if you believe in him, then you'll go to heaven, right? But I think a lot of times we forget that Jesus also said, I'm the way. You, you want life on this planet? You want life eternal, right? You want to live in light of this truth? Follow me. I am the way to a different way of life and experiencing time and experience living on this planet. And a couple weeks ago, I had another night where I couldn't sleep, and luckily my plumbing was working, but I woke up and I was just frustrated because I want to sleep, I love sleeping, and I couldn't. And yet, as I wrestle with the Lord, laying in bed, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe this is a time that God wants my attention, so I'm gonna pray. And so I got up out of bed and I went downstairs and I like laid out on the floor, right? Mostly because I was hoping to fall asleep there on the floor. That didn't work. And so as I laid there, I'm like, okay, God, I guess I need to pray about something. And I, and I couldn't stop thinking about this project we had been working on here at the church. I'd been spending like eight, nine months with a bunch of different teams of people just trying to figure out some answers of where we want to go next year and some plans and ministry and all that. And it's just, I felt like we were circling the drain and not getting anywhere. And we'd have so many hours invested in this conversation. I feel like I'm wasting my life, right? I felt like this whole thing. So I said, God, I just want to release this to you. Just take the stress away and let me fall asleep. And as I started praying, all of a sudden I started getting these ideas. So I pulled out my phone and I'd like write them down. One idea, one idea, one idea, one idea, one idea. Like one in the morning, or one, right? And, I, and I'm like awake enough and alert enough to know that most of the time when I write stuff down in the middle of the night, it's crazy, right? So I saved it, I go to bed, I fall asleep, that was a miracle. I wake up, I pull out my phone and I look at it, I'm like, this is pretty good, right? So then I come to work and I start showing some people, I'm like, hey, this is kind of what I've been thinking about a lot of this conversation. And they're like, yeah, that looks good. I feel like we're making some progress here. And I started feeling really guilty, because I realized that I've been spending so much time and so many hours trying to make progress and hitting walls that when I finally stopped and spent 20 minutes in prayer, God solved the whole thing. And I realized that work is a big part of life, that most of the time God doesn't just solve your problems for you, right? He calls you to participate with him in that. And what I realized and what I was invigorated with and a little convicted by in the midst of that is this invitation from Jesus to live in a new rhythm of life. Uh, kind of like he was saying, Danny, do you understand that apart from me, you can do nothing? Uh, but as you cling to me and abide in me and walk with me, I can do great things if you let me. And I started thinking how Jesus lived and how he engaged with people and how he'd go into solitude, he'd go into silence, he would pray and he would live in response to what the Father was doing. And I realized that he lived life differently than any of us live. And everyone in his time thought he was crazy, even his disciples. Right, they have a big ministry moment and Jesus is gone. Like, where's Jesus? Oh, he's praying again, right? So they go and find Jesus. Well, everybody's looking for you. He's like, let's get out of here. God's sending us somewhere else. Like, ah, oh, Jesus, right? <laughs> it's like he didn't even understand basic human logic. 
when it came to efficiency, productivity, time management, and doing one thing after another. Like, Jesus, you're never going to be able to build a good brand this way. Jesus, you're never going to be an influencer this way. Jesus, you're never going to be able to build this empire, this kingdom, if you just keep leaving towns and spending all day in prayer. Let's get some stuff done. But do you know who was the most influential human being who ever walked the earth? I'll give you a hint. It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jesus only lived 33 years. That's like this many years. And Jesus only worked like in ministry this much, three years, right? This is probably not three years, this is probably three years. This much, three years. I don't want to undersell it. Jesus did more in three years than you could do in 300,000 years. And I know you're thinking, well, it's because he was God. (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. But when Jesus talked about the way that he lived life on this planet, he never pulled the deity card. He said, my father's always at work, and I too am working. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. He said, I walk by the spirit of God. He lived life in a human frame the same way that he calls us to live life. So that's why he said, I'm the way. Follow me, and I'll teach you how to be fishers of men too. But we all think the way Jesus lived was crazy because we got stuff to do. (laughs) But the one who did more than you will ever do lived life in a way that didn't burn him out on time, but he spent it all building the kingdom of God, and God used him to do immeasurably more than he could have ever asked or imagined. I don't think that Jesus was a crazy person, I think Jesus was the wisest person who ever lived. And I think that Jesus understood how human beings were designed to relate with the concept of time. The the way that we can ebb and flow with prayer and action. The way that we can rest and find meaning in that rest. The way that we can devote ourselves to meaningful relationships and build up another generation to carry on the work. He lived a way that he calls us to live. And so as you walk away from this series, the question I want to leave kind of ringing in your brain is how is your relationship with time? Is your relationship with time different because you have a relationship with Jesus? Or do you have a relationship with Jesus that's over here in like the spiritual realm? Or a relationship with time that looks just like all the burned out, worn out, tired, run down people on planet Earth? Because Jesus says, I have a way of life that you can walk in, and I will give you rest. Let me pray for us, and we'll respond in song.